2: This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. How do you homeschool boys? More bluntly, how do you help boys learn at home without losing your mind? Stay tuned. We're going to get right to that. First, here's a word from our sponsor.
3: Jen, once again, Monday morning comes and I see your Building Boys Bulletin in my inbox and I cannot wait to open it because I know inside there is valuable, crisp, curated information that would take me hours and hours to find. First of all, I want to say bravo. Thank you. And second of all, I want to tell our listeners about the Building Boys Bulletin. Thank you so
2: much. Building Boys Bulletin is my subscription newsletter. comes out every Monday morning. It's got uh, inspiration from me. It's got links to articles about boys and raising them and educating them with all of the great stuff pulled out already because I know that you do not have time to read all of those articles. It always has links to our latest On Boys episodes, links to relevant Building Boys articles, and it really can help you build your relationship with your son and more effectively parent him.
3: You can have this awesome resource in your inbox every Monday morning. Go to buildingboys.net and click on the red subscribe button. I look forward to sharing. As you know, I always have a lot to say about Building Boys. And it's all good.
2: How do you homeschool boys? Or more bluntly, how do you help boys learn at home without losing your mind? That's obviously the question that most of you have been grappling with for more than a year now. And uh, I know many of you are ready to just throw in the towel and say, it can't be done. It's impossible. There is no way to do this. Our guest today is here to tell you it is possible breathe hold with me here let's talk to her lindsay nurl is joining us today she is a homeschooling mom of six children five of which are boys and she is a very successful freelance writer she's got a book soon to come out called homeschool hacks how to give your kids a great education without losing your job or your mind lindsay welcome Thank you for having me. How are you? We're good. Let's just cut to the chase. How do you do this without losing your goddamn mind?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, it's funny because I feel like a lot of parents where I am a human and I'm going through the highs and lows of life. And I don't think that the secret is to try to pretend that you aren't still doing life while you're doing this. It's to embrace the fact that letting the messy life be part of the education actually helps equip your child to be a more healthy, productive, functional adult. So we don't we don't tell lies in our house. We don't um, pretend that things are Pinterest perfect when they're not. And I think that lets everybody breathe a little. And that's kind of where we come back to every day when we're kind of losing it.
2: I love this so much. A long time listeners will likely know that I homeschooled my boys for seven and a half years. And the only way that I survived was by embracing the messy life, the messiness of life, um, allowing them to learn through living, allowing me to learn through living. Like there's, it was survival for me at that point. How long have you been homeschooling?
1: Since the beginning. So my children, all six have never um, been in traditional school setting and uh, we moved in, in the beginning and, you know, we've tried different strategies and different methods and even now all of them are kind of on different paths according <laughs> to their gifts and abilities, um, but I've never, you know, had them in
3: a, a public or private school system.
2: I call it school school
3: that other school where we're trying to put a square peg in a round hole, that other school. And, you know, I love what you said about their different paths because every kid learns differently. Every kid has different strengths and challenges. And you know, this is where our school system just struggles and mightily fails is that we are trying to cookie cutter this education for our kids. And if anything comes out of this pandemic and in the academic world, it is that we cannot just take all the seven-year-olds, boys and girls, and educate them the same way
1: yes i have been challenged with it to learn more about my own children i don't know if they weren't with me and i weren't having to problem solve every day i would know them as well as i do so it's Mm. definitely led to stronger bonds so that my my one child who's out of the house you know we continue to talk about very deep topics and we can we continue to do life together in a way that i don't know i could help her with if I didn't know how she learned and how she struggled and her gifts um, up until this point.
2: That's really interesting to me, because as, you know, the pandemic has gone on, um, one thing that I found kind of shocking personally, and I don't mean this in any kind of judgmental way at all, was like, how many parents didn't know so much about their their kids? And I say that because I had the opportunity to be the at-home parent when my kids were young, and i was working part time on the side and then we we homeschooled and so that was just normal for me to know all of that i can see how it's extremely uh unsettling and scary when like your kids home and you're asked to help them learn and there's so much that you don't even know about how your kid learns yet
1: how they learn and and just what they like and and their their gifts and their abilities i mean i remember the kind of when minecraft was this big thing. Mm-hmm. And and the memes were like parents having to listen to their children go on and on and on about Minecraft. That happens in my house too, where the 10 year old comes to me and he's telling me about the villagers and this, and I don't know what he's saying, right? I'm trying <laughs> that frustration of overwhelm. Um, I get it. And I get that there are days where I just think maybe I sh- should opt out, not, not put them back in school because we made that commitment, but it's tempting to just go let someone else. Um, But I've never looked back and and not seen how that has tied into something deeper and more
2: amazing, actually. So it's one thing to decide you want to homeschool. Whole nother thing to have it dumped in your lap because school closed. And, you know, we recognize that. That is a totally different challenge. I know for myself, though, even though I chose to homeschool, it almost felt like not a choice. It was a forced choice. It was this school system is not working for my kid. Mm -hmm. My kid is, I am seeing my kid's spirit be destroyed and I wasn't willing to let that happen. And this was the best opportunity I had. So even though I was choosing it and I'm putting air quotes around that, oh, it was hard at first because a lot of us head into things thinking we know what we're doing or how we're going to do it. And then reality is almost inevitably messier. What were your early experiences like with homeschooling, Lindsay? Like, What were your preconceptions and how did life sort of tear that all down and what did it teach you that you needed to know to do this and stay sane?
1: The thing about starting um, as you have the children and and instead of, I already have the kids and now they're home with me, Mm -hmm. is that you adjust with each child. So just like when you bring a new baby home from the hospital, there's some rough going, but you adjust into it. So I, my heart really goes out for parents who have all of a sudden, you know, a household three times bigger than what they had in 2019. And they have to now manage figuring out where everybody fits. Um, Right. I didn't have that because as each child got to a certain level, we, we knew what worked and what didn't, but I also struggled a lot with uh, living in a rural area where we didn't know any other homeschool families, and mm-hmm. there was one public school, the school that I went to, and so there was a very much disconnect of, okay, all the families in the area send their children to this public school, all the community activities kind of revolve around, around that, that school, yeah, community. and mm-hmm. yeah, and so it yeah.
3: it
1: it was um, it was hard because we would we would try to kind of go out and and then there would be that okay, well, we'll meet at this school thing that wasn't open to the greater public. So that was kind of a bigger challenge, but also we didn't have the robust internet communities like we have now where you can hop on Facebook and ask, does anyone have this workbook? I wanna look at a page. Mm -hmm. So you're really just trying things, buying books, seeing they didn't work, buying a different book, seeing it didn't work. And the, the failure took longer Mm-hmm. to get to the point where you
3: felt like you were doing something that was working. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love that you said before we turned on record is that, you know, now the older ones can do some management of the younger ones. So it's really, um, and and your age spread of kids is seven, what'd you say? Seven, 10, 13, 15, <laughs> 17, and 22. Did I get that right? You did. I didn't even write that down. You did.
2: I did. And I'm like looking at it, (laughs) trying to catch up. 22 is your daughter and she is out of the house um, doing college and all the boys are at home. And listeners, a lot of you have tween and teenage boys. You know that those can be challenging ages. Forget learning. Those can be challenging ages to simply have males in your house coexisting with each other.
1: Yes. It's it's funny because the energy you can't really explain to someone. You have to experience it. (laughs) Um, There is a lot of, and I'm sure like listening to some episodes you've had, you know, of this show, there is a lot of, it's different than girls in the fact that things happen very suddenly. They come to a head very quickly. They get resolved with a, with a different kind of urgency. And I'm okay with that. That's kind of how I live and, and work. So, it's a, an efficient way. <laughs> <laughs> but it can also feel like a lot of emotion and feeling and, and growth happens in a very short compact time. And we have a 1300 square foot home with just three bedrooms. so we have kids in bunk beds and shared workspaces and our tables very tiny and crowded and everybody's elbow to elbow. But those challenges have helped spur on the growth as well, because we can't be mad at each other or have these disconnects because we're waiting in line to share the bathroom and we have to look at
3: each other. (laughs) There's no hiding in a 1300 square foot home. Absolutely not. So I, of course, am. this is always so funny because Jen's kind of the big picture and I'm like, let's get to the practical there, you know, I'm thinking of our moms listening from their car or from their, you know, maybe from their, their bathroom and uh, whatever. (laughs) I know the closet. Tell me what to do next. How can I keep my job, get food on the table? Oh yeah. And then I mean, part of it has been, how do I engage my son in remote learning and get him on Zoom again? Maybe that's like totally gone to hell in a handbasket and that's put away. And now it's like, okay, we don't have the Zoom class with the school because we've decided we're going to homeschool now. But I don't even know what that is. Where to start?
1: You know, normally you would say there's a time of de-schooling where you're coming from this loud, crazy, busy interconnected public school or private school world and now you're home. Well, we've all been kind of de-schooling in some fashion for a year or more in the sense that we've had to adapt, but there is kind of this overstimulation that I've seen with kids um, being in front of the Zoom calls. Like when I'm done with this interview, I'm gonna go home and take a nap. Being on the screen with people requires a different level of attention and a different level of awareness that you don't have just sitting, you know, you and I on the couch, like going over some worksheets. So there's like a toll that happens when you're doing these face to faces. And so for children to sit there for however many hours and do that, there's a level of exhaustion that you're not going to have in the same way. So first of all, I would say pick a subject, any subject that your child feels confident in, or that they're interested in, or that you feel like you may have a handle on, and just start with one. The first week, do it kind of consistently and figure out if the curriculum you have is gonna work or if you're gonna kind of freewheel it and use some like Khan Academy resources or some um, community college resources or whatever you decide to do, but just pick one because it's less Mm -hmm. about what you're gonna learn when you're starting out and more about how they're gonna learn.
2: And I want to add in like, pick a subject doesn't necessarily have to mean a specific academic subject as as defined by school school, it doesn't have to be math, or English language arts or science, it can be this random topic that your kid is super interested in. And you can just go down that rabbit hole with them. Um, when my now 20 (laughs) year old, you know, he was four, five, six, was butterflies, butterflies was his thing. And We ended up learning, you know, science and geography and some language art skills and so many other things by following that interest, not all in the first day, not all in the first week, but you start in one place.
3: Well, and I can really see that this what you're saying, Lindsay, is so much of this is about getting your own adult mind out of the traditional school model. Of, you know, oh, it has to look this way. Oh, we've got, you know, he's always had worksheets. We got to do worksheets. And, and so there is that, that uh, kind of inward shift, structural shift that we have to do as the parents of, you're not trying to replicate what's happening in the classroom. Leave that behind and be okay with deep dive into butterflies. And, you know, this is living life. This is the learning that happens as we go. And also in that too, is is there some healing, I'm gonna guess, that your boys and girls need to do because likely, you know, pandemic, but also likely some school trauma. Let's just call it that.
2: Janet, when my oldest son came home from school, we took him out halfway through first grade. And a very, very smart kid. And partly he was getting frustrated because the things he wanted to learn, he wasn't learning in school. Um, it, there was a lot of issues. But he was home for a number of weeks. And I, I tried to recreate school school. Like, how do you help mm-hmm. a kid learn how to read? You have him, you know, read a book to you and you you teach some words and you correct. I didn't learn until a couple weeks in. He hated reading out loud. Hey. Hated it. He he finally, he just blew up at me one day, hated reading out loud. He wanted to have time alone with the book to figure it out on his own first. Holy cow. Like that is a perfectly reasonable request. He knew what worked for him. He'd been in an environment for so long where he couldn't say that, that when he yeah. did say it, it came out as an explosion at me. And mm-hmm. then I did give him more time and space. And guess what? It all went better after that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And the other piece I know I've heard because I've heard this from many, many parents, is the fear of their child is going to be behind. And I put that in air quotes, listeners, because what is behind? There is no behind. Your child is exactly where they are. But how do you, you cope speak? with that? How yeah, do you cope with that, 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 Lindsay? I
2: and mean, that's that's been a constant discussion in homeschool families for years especially those of us who have other family members that are like, you know, your kid's going to be behind. They're not go- They're not learning everything they should.
1: It's funny because we say with our mouths that we don't care, but we always are comparing ourselves. I mean, I'm comparing myself to people all the time. I have a 17 year old who's looking at colleges, career paths he wants to pursue. And we have to be very real about, okay, you can't be a lawyer if you're not taking this level of, you know, writing classes or this level, you know, if you can't read this particular level of book. So there are obviously goals you have to set if a child is really set on certain um, life goals or career aspirations and you can't ignore those and we're not being, you know, delusional with what it's gonna take to get there. But up until about fifth or sixth grade, we have to kind of let go of some of that behind because there are all kinds of learning models that learn in different orders. We have a math program that doesn't teach in the exact succession as succession is like um, like public school. It teaches uh, foundational like theories based. Okay, we're going to do addition for a whole year and learn everything there is to do about know about addition, and then we're going to do subtraction the next year and expand upon that. And they throw a little algebra in there. And so it's learning more about these foundational principles of math. Um, and it takes less time than the traditional six-year math so that when they get to seventh grade, they already know some algebra and they don't feel like it's this
3: strange, weird thing. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle
2: feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about ByHeart baby formula. ByHeart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and ByHeart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on ByHeart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only US-made infant formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's b y h e a r t.com/podcast and it is 10% off your first order. byheart.com/podcast This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that,
3: Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin.
2: Eh, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin down. Yeah,
3: no. And they taste good and they're sugar free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah,
2: plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melts Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's Try T-R-Y dot easy Melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on boys. To an
1: outsider, my child who is still not learned multiplication tables in the third or fourth grade would be behind.
3: Mm-hmm, but then in mm-hmm. the fifth
1: grade, when he does learn those and he's using X, Y, Z, Doing some very small algebraic equations and balancing both sides. Now my child is ahead of yours, so mm-hmm. we need to like be really careful about that. Um, also, reading—the biggest thing I see on Facebook forums is, you know, my kid is four or five or six and they're not reading yet.
2: Yeah. Oh, Ugh.
3: stop, 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 people. Stop tell with me about, tell me
2: about your oh boys and and when they each kind of became competent readers. My boys were different ages.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's as unique. I always think of reading as like the sign of a unique human being. Like when does that (laughs) brain just go because I I feel like it's not a a gradual growth thing, like shoe size, right. Where, you know, you're going to like walk in your kid's room and every shoe they get is going to be bigger and bigger every year. It's, it's more like we're at this level. And then I go to bed one night and I wake up and my brain has done weird things in the middle of the night. And now this same book that I couldn't, you know, it was sounding out phonetically, but wasn't remembering what, what was said by the time I get to the next sentence, I'm understanding as I go. And it's, it's like a wiring shift. And with each child, you know, I had one that was nearly 11 before they weren't stumbling through. And it was a lot of work. But then two years later, they were reading Dante's Inferno, the Iliad, and these like big things and going, wow, this is great. I love reading so much. Same.
2: And I'm just, I'm adding that on because if you hear one person say that, you're like, okay, yeah, that's weird. But I am telling you as a person who homeschooled and who has been to homeschool conferences, and I'm guessing you have too, Lindsay, these are not unusual stories. If kids Mm -hmm. are out of the pressure of they have to read by a certain time, and kind of allowed to develop at their own pace and not frankly made to feel like an absolute failure that they're not getting it when they're six, it comes at a different level. My second son was right around that same, he was he was on pace for that Lindsay. When then we went through a divorce and he ended up getting put back in school and he was not a competent reader at all. By age, he was in fourth grade. He was maybe reading at like a second grade level. Like maybe they put him in these remedial, you know, reading programs and stuff. And he felt stupid because you do. But the fact is he, he picked it up very quickly. And I think he would have been exactly one of these, like by 11, it was going to click because very soon after, like he's, he's reading, you know, high school level text. So it really it's hard to say. It really doesn't matter when they learn how to read. It's more important the how they feel about themselves while they are learning to read.
3: That's what is the bottom line. And that's what our school systems do is, and uh, Lindsay, I didn't say in the beginning, but I'm have my degree in elementary ed. So, and have read a lot of studies reading is one of my passions. And so listeners, you know, a lot of the, of the studies will say that boys typically come to reading later. So This important aspect is to maintain the love of reading and not be forcing them to, as you said, Jen, you know, read this to me out loud and sound out these words. And because who wants to do that? I will say, you know, when Harry Potter came out, that was like, you know, kids would carry around this book and I knew they weren't reading yet, but what a prize to be able to carry that book around and then start to actually read it amazing and and that's that deep love of discovery and not being discovering from the inside and not being forced from the outside
2: let's talk about how you continue to support your son's language development and progress towards reading during that time so you know you you've got a son and he's he's not reading independently yet how can parents support that without freaking out We
1: have since the moment, so when I married my husband, I had a a four-year-old from a previous marriage, and he started reading to her every night before bed, and he wouldn't pick picture books. He would pick longer chapter books based on age, and it was every night, and when we would go on work trips, we would call home, and he would read to them over the phone, and that has been a you know 17 18 year commitment that very rarely have we not followed through on and now i'm doing some of the reading because he has a different work schedule and we just want to make sure they get read to so it's been everything from you know the chronicles of narnia we went through all the road doll books um we did the boxcar children and, and just uh, now we're doing the the swan book that E.B. white did um, and oh, trumpet of off. trumpet
2: of the sw- trumpet trumpeter swan or whatever. Yeah, trumpet
1: of the swan. That's yeah. it. my easy.
2: fourth fourth grade teacher read it to us, and it's still one of my best memories of school.
1: But see, so you have those memories. Yep. And what I've found is a couple things. One, I'm going back and I'm reading books that I probably should have read uh, as a youngster. <laughs> I was reading Stephen King books, which probably <laughs> you know nothing wrong with that. But I missed out on some of that more um, you know carefree. Uh, child appropriate book stuff, <laughs> but yeah. And, and also I, as a writer, I am looking at like the language of E.B. White and I'm just like,
3: oh, wow. yeah,
1: just, I, there's no words to describe how much is being communicated through these sentences. And then my children are getting these amazing books just checked off their list so that they can say, yes, we read this book, I, I've gone through the whatever canon you want to, to align with based on your your culture, or your values or whatever, and, and you get those books out of the way. And if they want to return to read them later when they're older, and a few of them have done that, um, they can, but they all have these memories, good memories associated with good literature. Mm-hmm. And we always have questions. And you know, mm-hmm. part of the reason I'm tired is my young kids didn't go to bed till after 11. Then I didn't get to work till after that. And it was because they had questions about swans and mm-hmm. you can't not, you can't leave them hanging.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. That brings back such good memories. And I know you're telling me you're exhausted and I remember that too, but when you are when you finally get those moments, you know, you're reading something or you're engaging with them on a topic of their interest. And this is when the spark shows, this is the thing with homeschooling successfully. You have to be willing to uh, seize those sparks when they happen. And it's not always at the convenient time.
1: It never is at the. I will (laughs) tell you, it is never, I just want at the end of the night to have a glass of wine and watch something on Netflix, like every other human during the pandemic. But, I will see a teen kind of creeping around the corner. I'll see the shadow. I'll feel the presence. They have their phone. And I'm like, they're going to ask me something. It's 1130. And I just, I just want to shut down for the day. And I'm like, it's something. And they're like, I just saw something on Twitter and I'm not sure how to feel about it. Or I just heard this in a podcast and I have some questions and I think, wow what an honor that you're coming to me. I must have done something okay. And that mm-hmm. right there is how I know homeschooling was right
3: for my family. Yeah, that's the connection. So Lindsay, in our in our time remaining, I wonder what, you know, your book talks about scheduling and kind of the practical management of how do you work and homeschool your kids. So can you give us maybe like your three top tips of uh how to how to manage the practical logistics of homeschooling?
1: Sure. And you know, I go into this in a little more detail for people that aren't used to prioritizing or assigning priority to tasks, but really mm-hmm. we have to be realistic about our expectations. I kick myself when I hand my child who can't read yet a workbook that requires him to be able to read the directions. And then I send him in the other room and I say, mom's gonna take a work call. Why would I do that? That makes no sense. And yet we do things like that every day. A lot of it is just separating out what children can do independently, what we can do um, with a little bit of noise and distraction and making sure those things are lined up appropriately. So Mm. I'm in an office in a different location a secure location. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Your the children that, cannot find yeah, you. <laughs>
1: I I rent a, a co-working space and it's, I have my own little office. I can record my podcast and do the things, but I, I know that when I'm doing that, they I can't have them sitting at home working on something that is going to require my input. The other thing is, you know, we have to really give up self. And I know a lot of people feel like that's all they've done during this pandemic time, but there's always a little more you can give. I don't wanna get up, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go help you do this. I don't wanna, you know, I get to the point like with the reading where, you know, if this is something you want to make work, you are going to have to try to find more of yourself and really prioritize that. and sometimes they'll say, mom, I need to do this and I don't want to help them, but I made a commitment. And in the end, it's not their fault. They didn't they didn't ask for any of this, their children. So I need to kind of buck up. And then finally, I have more than one child. So I have no problem if I have to get work done having even my 10-year-old do a card game with his brother that goes over phonics. And what happens is you're not only getting that younger child taken care of, it empowers that older child in a way that you can't imagine like they get, they get this pride and they're like, I am Mm -hmm. having inputs and I'm like how I felt nursing my children and going, I'm pretty magical. Look what I can do. This child is getting some of that like Mm -hmm. empowerment. And I think for future strong, kind, honest, amazing men, that is one of the best things that you can give them as a child.
2: Janet, we talk so often about how boys, especially, they want to contribute to the world. They want to to do things. They want to contribute to the family. It doesn't necessarily mean they want to do the dishes or those kinds of things, but they want to do useful things. They mm-hmm. want to have that sense of purpose. And so often, especially in school, school, they don't get those opportunities.
1: Empathy is huge. And I have some children that have struggled with empathy. Um, personality types play a lot into that and this gives them an opportunity you know take this book go read to your brother take this game play play this clock game for just 15 minutes and it gives you a little time but it also gives to both children in a way that they're not going to get from mom the younger ones Mm -hmm. are like wow big brother who i look up to is taking an interest in me and thinks i'm important and big brother is saying you know what I might do this someday with my own kids or a nephew yeah. or a volunteer program or whatever it is. It's just, it's like hitting all the cylinders and it's, it's pretty amazing.
2: Give us just a very brief look, a quote unquote typical day, how you manage, you know, setting the kids up to do their things. How much time are they actually putting in on what we would call school? How are you working? I know that every day is different, but just for the sake of people who are going, this still makes no sense to me.
1: Sure. Uh, So younger ones need more hands-on, but they also need less learning time. So it's, it's, it works out. I would say for, you know, young elementary kids to my middle elementary kids, two hours tops of actual formal education, watching videos, doing the worksheets, um, you know, taking a quiz. The rest is play, projects, art, music, um, it's very kind of just free form the older kids they have things they need to do if they want to go to college or trade school or um, start a business and they have their courses they hit the ground running when they get up in the morning and they have set up assignments you do this by the end of the day or you don't get on the xbox they're pretty much responsible They get the consequences if they don't do it, which is no Xbox. And with the pandemic, they really need that because that's also how they connect with their peers right now. Yes. Um, But they also, if they have troubles, they can come to me. And then I have those kids where I look at them and I'm like, okay, this kid needs prompts every hour on the hour or we're gonna lose them. So part of that is knowing the personality. So they might do four to six hours of school, formal in the high school a lot of that is live online classes or, uh, you know, asynchronous offline videos or a lot of reading and a lot of writing. So no more than six hours, though. And that is including everything.
2: And then when and how is your work fitting in the middle of that?
1: So everyone still rests in the afternoon for an hour and a half. Um, That is, you know, reading, listening to music. Um, Little kids might still nap. I use that to do the things I really, really have to focus on, but not be so exhausted. I'm going to mess something up.
2: At, the, at my house, I did the same thing, Lindsay. I called it quiet time. You know, like the little ones would still nap, but I needed that time too. Because like you, I'm building a writing career at the same time. Plus I, sanity, I needed that time. Quiet time. We're going to have quiet time now.
1: Right. And you know, as a writer, so much of your work is research, so much is marketing, so much is just going through emails. So I put everything in buckets and I can go through emails while I'm helping with math. But when it comes to putting those words on the page, that is my do not disturb time. And that's carved out at a time that I'm most productive, which is strangely at the night. And also maybe when the kids are playing Xbox, so it works out.
2: It's all about figuring out what works for you and what works for your family. It sounds complicated, but it's easier than trying to make yourself or your child fit a system that's not working.
1: Definitely, and it takes more honesty, I think, which is why it's hard for some people. You have to be really honest. Um, You have to look at your flaws and see what's not working and look at your children and see what they need help with. And that can be super overwhelming. Um, but it's a good, it's a good exercise for us to do in life anyway. And so I, I just encourage people to to consider it.
3: So, and your book is a great place to start. So tell us how we can find you and find your book. So the book is available wherever books
1: are sold. Um, you know, Target, Walmart, you know, if your Amazon shopper, and also it's on audiobook. It will be coming out at the same time. So if you don't have time like most of us, and you want to listen to that while you're doing dishes or cooking, Dinner or going on a, a jog, that is all an option as well.
2: Share your Twitter handle because you are fun to follow on Twitter also. <laughs> sure.
1: It's my first initial L and then Neural, K-N-E-R-L. So at L Neural. And I love Twitter. I love to to hear what people are up to and look at cat memes like everybody else. You know, I'm a regular person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> but I, I think I spy a halo over your head, Lindsay. So there's that too.
1: Honesty. Honesty. You know, it's funny. I don't pretend to be anything special. I'm not uh I wear lipstick maybe two times a month. I'm really a super low maintenance human, (laughs) um, which makes me perfect for raising boys.
2: Yes, it does.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And honest, I'm just always I always just want to be honest. So this is kind of the book also honestly looks at things. And I think a lot of people might go, wow, that sounds messier or less uh certain than what I'd hoped for, but I don't want to sell homeschooling as anything than than what it is. And so I'm just trying to be honest with it.
3: Yeah. And bottom line, it may fit, it may not, but try it. You might like it. Can I say that (laughs) cliche? You can say
2: that. (laughs) You can say that. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your wisdom and your honesty. Uh, I am all about that. We We can't make it sound like any of this is just easy and boom, do this. It'll be fine. It's not. It's much messier. But embrace the mess. Embrace the chaos and learning will follow.
3: Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this conversation about homeschooling and just simply being with and living life with your boys, too. And don't forget Building Boys Bulletin. Go to buildingboys.net. Click that red subscribe button for a low, very low cost per year or per month. You can get Jen's wisdom in your inbox every single Monday morning. And I will tell you again, that is the first email I open every Monday, and it makes me smarter. So you can be smarter too, and we can all together raise our boys to be great men. Thanks for joining us at On Boys. I am your co-host, Janet Allison, along with Jennifer L.W. Fink.